Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch, and this is episode 13 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guests, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everybody's having a good week out there. The holiday is rapidly approaching. Time to finish up that Christmas shopping and such. At the same time, I'm still reeling from last week's conversation about SLC Punk. I did not expect that movie to stick with me to the length that it has. So, of course, it inspired this week's Friday Inquiry. I asked our community, what movie character do you most relate to as a coming-of-age experience? I didn't get as many answers as I would have liked. I may pocket this question and bring it out again later when we have another kind of of coming-of-age movie, but I, I like the answers I got. Uh, many of our former guests or, or upcoming guests in here as well. Uh, Luis Ramirez said The Graduate, the Ben Braddock character, not the part where he has an affair with an older married woman, but the sense of aimless direction and apathy after graduating from college. And that's a very different coming-of-age type experience, but sadly it's probably one more of us relate to than a lot of the other movies we see, and I, I think that frankly is part of SLC Punk as well. Chris Talent, the stalwart fan, said, Easy, Dead Poet Society, hands down. And then I had to remind him the question was, What character? And his answer was, I believe his name was Neil, the one with Red Foreman as a father. Um, the movie doesn't go well for Neil, so I, I, I totally get connecting with that character, but that's unfortunately not the character we want to walk away from that movie feeling like. Kat Milner said Juno and the perks of being a wallflower and had to remind her that I was talking about characters as well. So she said Juno minus the pregnancy and a mix of the main three in Perks of Being a Wallflower, which kind of says something about Perks of Being a Wallflower that maybe we're kind of a little bit of all three of those characters, just like something like The Breakfast Club, which is our next answer. Laura Huber said The Breakfast Club, Allison, played by Ali Sheedy. And finally, Calvin McCollahan said Jeff Goldblum, in the fly. I really hope that's a joke response. So, so that's this week's Friday inquiry questions related to the movie. Usually uh, go up on Fridays. You can follow me on Twitter at have not seen this on Facebook at have not seen this podcast. I post those questions on Friday. So I've been thinking about my career as a film critic, particularly because it came up while I was recording this episode. And when I started reviewing movies, I was kind of the backline defense as far as covering all the big releases that came out because I live in a smaller city. We don't get advanced screenings. So major releases, we would try to get advanced screenings and those would go to people who had access to them. And I would get kind of the leftovers, which meant I spent a lot of my early career reviewing bad movies, for lack of a better term. And then as I progressed through my career and, and started working on the podcast at Gruesome Magazine, we got a lot of bad movies there, too, because horror is an easy genre to dive into, but it's not always done well. So I, I've spent a lot of time with bad movies in my career, and at first it was a lot of fun, because it's fun to write negative reviews about a movie. It's fun to trash the movie. But as I started doing that more and more and, and being exposed more and more to movies that weren't necessarily so great, I finally reached this realization that people don't set out to make bad movies. When they're making the movie, they're trying to do the absolute best they can. And I think that's something that we have to take into account as we look at film. It's not necessarily a best practice to just trash a movie because we can. There are still people's hard work that went into that effort, and we need to look for the silver lining in the projects where we can. That's not to say that there aren't filmmakers out there who don't set out to make bad movies. There certainly are. And that's not to say that every single movie has something good to say about it. There have been absolute pieces of crap that I have reviewed, that I have seen, I still can think of one movie that I couldn't even make it all the way through, and I think that's the greatest disrespect a critic can serve a movie, is to not at least give it the complete watch, but sometimes they're just that bad. I bring that up because in the 13 episodes we've done so far, we've we've had a couple of movies that I would consider bad movies. I didn't necessarily like, but I always tried to find something positive to talk about and something to help guide our conversation. 
Well, this week's movie, Leviathan from 1989, courtesy of James Jackson, kind of fits into that category. The difference between this film and the others that we've looked at that I didn't necessarily like all that much is that one point in the conversation, as you will hear, James flat out asks me what I thought about the movie. And while I have tried to find positive things to say about it, I had to admit to him that I didn't think it was very good. And that's a delicate topic to to try to tiptoe around until someone just flat out asks you what you think and you have to give an honest opinion. So as you'll hear, we still find quite a few things to talk about. I have a lot that I'd like to say about this conversation that I'm just going to kind of keep to myself, but I'd love to hear some feedback. If you're interested, of course, you can email me at havenotseenthis at gmail.com. But we'll go forward with our conversation with James Jackson about Leviathan from 1989. So what kind of movies do you usually like? I love um, sci-fi. Sci-fi is like my thing. I've always liked uh, anything that's a little different, like a little bit of horror mixed into the sci-fi. Mm-hmm. It's always just excited me. Something that's like, oh, out of this world kind of thing going on and they can capture it in a movie and it's like oh my imagination can take part of that and be like that would be cool so what's your favorite sci-fi movie favorite oh it's probably a tie between the thing and aliens both are really good picks the thing is probably one of my all-time favorite movies yeah it's so good it's like it's it's hard kurt russell it's just yeah it's hard to not to enjoy that movie yeah no and and aliens i you know we did alien as our very first episode Mm -hmm. and i talked then that i i probably still prefer aliens over it even though the original is so uh so so iconic i i like what james cameron did with it for the sequel oh yeah definitely i mean i i loved the first one i thought it was cool um it was dark it was kind of a suspense but the second one um just bringing everything together yeah, like making it more of a sci-fi monster horror, which is awesome. And the actors they had in it were just like it was so legit. Oh yeah, no, it's great cast and and great premise, everything. I mean, I love that movie. So those are both really good picks. All right, well, I want to kick things off. I want to uh, play a little game with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to call this the Logline Challenge. Uh, if you're not familiar or listeners are not familiar, a log line is a brief summary of a film that kind of states the central conflict of the story. So like what you'd see in TV Guide. Okay. Although TV Guide is kind of an outdated reference, I guess, at this point. But. I remember. All right. So uh, so this is a log. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the log line. You tell me the movie. Okay. All right. So the, these first two are from 2013. And our first log line is a disgraced Secret Service agent finds himself trapped inside the White House in the wake of a terrorist attack and works with national security to rescue the president from his kidnappers. Um, something down. Uh, uh, the, the London has fallen. Close. It's the first one in that series. Olympus uh, has fallen. Olympus is. Yeah. Dang it. All right. Second one. While on a tour of the White House with his young daughter, a Capitol policeman springs into action to save his child and protect the president from a heavily armed group of paramilitary invaders. Uh, what year? Uh, same 2013. You got me. You got me. I have no idea. It's White House down. Should have been an easy guess. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. We're going to move to 1998 for these wow. next two. Okay, okay. So these next two are both 1998. First one, unless a comet can be destroyed before colliding with Earth, only those allowed into shelters will survive. Which people will survive? Ooh. Um, God, what was that? What was that end of the world movie where we actually like built giant dang, dang it, man. <laughs> dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it. Because like when you started, I was thinking Armageddon, but then I'm thinking there's I know there's a movie with Elijah Wood in it where they get randomly chosen to go into these underground bunkers, and I cannot remember the name of it. Yeah, Elijah Wood. You're right. You got the actor. Now, yeah. can you name? Can you name the movie? I cannot name the movie. Honestly, okay. I, I remember him, and he forced the government to take his girlfriend and his girlfriend's family 
uh, into the bunker with them. Okay, it's Deep Impact. There it is. All right. Also from 1998, after discovering that an asteroid the size of Texas is going to impact Earth in less than a month, NASA recruits a misfit team of deep core drillers to save the planet. Armageddon. There you go. All right. Now we're jumping to 1989 for the rest of these. These are all from 1989. All right. At the bottom of the ocean, the crew of an experimental underwater nuclear base have just discovered a new and deadly alien menace. (laughs) Okay. Are you talking about Leviathan? Are you talking like, are you trying to get meta on me? Like, <laughs> no, it's just Leviathan, uh, Harbinger Down, um, Deep Star Six. This is Deep Star Six, all okay. right? I'm just thinking of all the underwater ones I know. The second one, also from 89, an underwater oil rig diving team is enlisted to search for a lost nuclear submarine and face danger while encountering oh. an alien aquatic species. Uh, 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 dang it. See now you get you got my brain you got my brain <laughs> right now man I'm I'm, uh, I'm going crazy um, we got the abyss this is the abyss very good oh, okay I'm like going through them in my head again all right and then lastly an American deep sea mining colony stumbles upon a sunken Soviet vessel hiding a horrific secret and must fight to survive against a genetic mut- mutation that hunts them down one by one harvesting them down nope oh um I'll give you a hint. What movie are we talking about today? Leviathan. There you go. <laughs> Wait, did you say Soviet? Can you repeat that question? Yeah, an American deep sea mining colony stumbles upon a sunken Soviet vessel hiding a horrific secret and must fight oh. to survive against genetic mutation that hunts, hunts them down one by one. And it's Leviathan. It, it so the- is. I'm thinking way too deep. I'm like, oh, he's going to ask me something completely away from the movie that I picked. So I'm like trying to pick out all the craziness. No, what I was trying to illustrate is we have these weird cycles where Hollywood puts out very similar movies uh, along the same line. So in 2013, you have two movies where the White House is under attack and it's up to a single person to save them with Olympus has fallen and White House down. 1998, you have two movies where a giant meteor is coming to Earth and what are they going to do? with deep impact and Armageddon. And then oddly in 1989, it really was fashionable to have an underwater kind of alien movie because you had deep star six you had the abyss and you have the movie we're talking about today leviathan fun note if you think about it what was uh the movies came out i think they were like 97 to 2000 um about about uh volcanoes there was volcano and then there was volcano there was yeah which i suddenly can't remember the name of oh dang i just saw it in my mind bro um dante's peak yeah dante's peak Okay, so we're talking today about Leviathan from director George P. Cosmatos, uh, written by David Webb Peebles, and starring Peter Weller, Richard Crenna, Amanda Pays, Daniel Stern, Ernie Hudson, Michael Carmine, and Lisa Elbacher, and Hector Elizondo, let's not forget him. It was an experiment that tampered with nature's most basic laws. It went terribly wrong. It was buried five miles down. Now, a crew of undersea miners is about to stumble upon this terrifying secret. Shack to seven, what's going on out there, Williams? My God, are you picking this up? Look at this. Leviathan. Currently with a Russian fleet in the Baltic Sea. Currently it's rusted junk and we're looking at it. What's your air reading? 20 minutes. Boston, my crew's in jeopardy. But you have no proof. I'm ordering you to start an emergency medical evacuation. What if it turns out to be nothing? Help me. It's already killed one man. Whatever got six pack and Bowman, it's still here. I feel something. Somebody's alive in here. What's going on? Six pack. Six pack, answer. Leviathan. So, pretend I have not seen this movie. How do you describe Leviathan to someone who hasn't seen it? How do you sell them on wanting to see it? When you break it down, Leviathan's going to be a science fiction uh, horror movie that consists of everything that you love from the thing, everything that you love from Alien or Aliens, but it combined it into a, an amalgamation that actually could be realistic on our Earth which is the deep sea. 
since we do not know everything about it, for me personally, it's very scary. So when you take the things from the thing and the aliens and you rush them all together, it's a very scary concept that could be a reality for us. And for that, it makes it scary, fun, but real because it's here on Earth. That's a very interesting way of describing it. Oh, yeah. That's, that's really interesting. So, so why is Leviathan your choice for this? I picked Leviathan. There's a lot of movies from the past, basically, that were like very cool and very scary and everything else. But Leviathan, for, for me personally, I can swim and everything else. But the deep sea is always scared the living crap out of me. Like, we don't know what's there. We really don't know what's really deep down there. And it's one of those entities that we should really not mess with because we don't know its full kind of power, if that makes sense. Like, you're not going to go down there and start messing with things because you don't know physically what can come back and mess with you. So between the way you would describe it to someone else and the reason that you picked this as your movie, it sounds like it's a very personal, scary story for you. May, uh, maybe a little bit. Um, I enjoy it. I like it. I like, I like a lot of these uh, movies. And I prefer the um, underwater ones because it's basically when you go underwater at Earth, on Earth with these movies, it's the equivalent of the outer space movies, but this is more realistic. All the movies that you see, um, Sphere and, um, oh, there's a lot of them. They're just flushing through my head. But all the scary uh, sci-fi movies that you think about in space that mm-hmm. could happen. But if it happened on Earth in our oceans, in our deepest parts of the oceans where it's dark as space, it's more realistic. And I think that's scarier in my mind. Gotcha. So how do you is do you prefer this over the other two movies that came out in 89, Deep Star 6 and The Abyss? I do. I like the practical effects a bit more. And um I I've seen the I've seen them all. Leviathan's the only one that I've like really watched multiple times. The Abyss, the James Cameron movie was just seemed too hyped up for itself. And I love I like James Cameron, but Leviathan for some reason it like it hit home. And um, they re- they almost redid this movie. Oh, yeah? Uh, on the surface, though, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called Harbinger Down. Harbinger I have Down. not. Yeah. It's um, basically almost the same concept, but it's I think it's like mid-2000s. Okay. Yeah, I have not seen that one, so I'll have to add that to my list to check out. Well, that, that, you answered a, a lot of my questions right there, because this is not a very popular movie. It's not, and it wasn't. It's a... Uh, yeah, no, it's got 17% at Rotten Tomatoes and only 26% audience rating, uh, 51% at Metacritic. But it almost sounds to you because it's more of a personal, I don't want to say personal story, but personal fear, that that would, that would make a lot more sense as to why this appealed to you. Mm-hmm. So looking at the reviews, it, it was hard to find a positive review for this um I, i'm absolutely there's 23 to, uh, critic reviews on rotten tomatoes and only two of them are positive and and one of them i no, there were three that were positive if i remember correctly and one of them i couldn't the link is dead so anyway just looking at the reviews because this, these bring up a couple of points that i want to talk about richard harrington with the washington post wrote unfortunately the Le- leviathan goes where deep star six went just a few months ago under space Exploring the ocean depths seems to be this year's sci-fi trend. James Terminator Cameron has the abyss coming out in the fall, but it's going to be up to Cameron to prove it's a trip worth taking because Rambo director George P. Cosmatos doesn't do much here with the mutant script that borrows from Alien, Aliens, Life Force, Blade Runner, The Fly, and for the finale, Jaws. Because Cosmatos has put together a decent cast and a proficient crew, Leviathan is intermittently interesting. But it's a bad sign that the movie starts losing its punch when the monster shows up. Now, the more positive review came as more of a retrospect uh, that Harrington's review came out the year that it came out. Heather Wixon with Daily Dead said, There's no denying that Leviathan's story has a hodgepodge quality to it akin to the film's own monster that becomes an amalgamum of its victims. And it's pretty evident that Cosmatos' film shares a bit of DNA with several of its sci-fi counterparts as well. But what makes screenwriters David Peoples and Jeb Stewart's story stand out is that the duo cleverly injects a few surprises and innovative twists on the sea beast subgenre, resulting in a film that's a lot of fun and a near perfect homage to B movies of yesteryear. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, and you did it in your own description of it, is people could not seem to review this movie without referencing like half a dozen other movies. 
Mm-hmm. And you did the same thing when I said, how would you sell this to other people? You brought up several other different movies. Why, why do you think this can't be discussed without referencing things like Alien or Harrington brings up Jaws and The Fly? Uh, why, why do you think that is? Um, I believe that this movie kind of tagged onto the, the mid to late 80s uh, sci-fi genre of what's hot and what can sell. And yeah, everything that they did, they, they pulled from everything. But at the same time, they made it their own. But too many people are going to look at it like, oh, this is a copy of this, or this is a copy of this. And I don't like to think of it like that. I like to think of it like, oh, they took this from The Thing, they took this from Aliens, they took this from Jaws, they took this from uh, Deep Star Six, and they made it their own thing. And what kills me is like people like, oh, uh, Leviathan came out two months after Deep Star Six, and it was a copycat, and it's garbage. It's like, no, production's always going around the same time. Deep Star Six had James Cameron behind it, so it had a little bit more backing, so it's going to come out sooner. But it's always a different movie. Yeah, I mean, I think people, when you have films like that, like the trend that I I set up with the logline game, you have those movies come out at the same time. They can't be stealing from each other because they're being made at the exact same time. Yeah. Now, the idea may have come from a script that was shipped around and the studio decided to make a different version of it, but it's still going to be something unique. So you don't feel like this is a derivative movie. You feel like they took those concepts and made them their own. Yeah, I feel like they took everything that they thought would be great from all those movies and like started rolling with it. And in my opinion, made it a very entertaining and memorable movie. I don't think they're trying to copy anybody. I think they're just like, hey, this is what I like. Let's make this. And it just came out in that time where five to seven other movies of the same genre and type came out at the same time. Yeah, I I agree with the reviews. Both the reviews kind of talk about the, the cast and they do a very good job of making these characters interesting. You know, it, it, they're not, they don't feel like they're just cookie cutter. Here's the jock. Here's the nerd, that kind of thing. They feel like pretty well-rounded characters, which is developed through the first part of the movie. They, they establish pretty quickly that like six pack is, is a bit of a horn dog. You know, he's kind of a goon. He's, he's the one who comes in while they're eating and, and reaches under the chair cushion to get the Playboy magazine. Um, he's constantly hitting on the female characters. But with Daniel Stern playing it, there's just something there that feels a little more than just this cookie cutter character. For me, when I first saw this movie and I saw like Daniel Stern in it, I was like, oh, it's a dude from Home Alone. <laughs> what, else, like, what else can I think? I was like, oh my God, it's that dude from Home Alone. But then you see him playing this completely different role. This is before I ever saw like Casino... Or any of those movies that took, um, what's his name? Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci, yes, exactly. Took him to another level. But like seeing Daniel Stern, I was like, oh my god, it's that one dude from Home Alone. See, I think of him immediately from City Slickers. Yeah? Yeah, for some reason, that's that's kind of my go-to Daniel Stern reference is City Slickers rather than Home Alone. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm not a big enough Home Alone fan. <laughs> uh. But, like, the cast, like, <clears throat> Leviathan, when I think about Leviathan compared to the other movies at the time, it's like, I think Leviathan actually had a, a stronger cast than any of those other movies at that time. I don't know. You do have uh, a pretty impressive cast with The Abyss. Mm. Or recognizable. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good cast. Uh, that, that's what I'm saying. I think, And I think in their hands, I mean, like you have the scene, you know, the captain goes through the first, or not captain, but the guy in charge, Beck, he, you know, he goes through the opening scene where they have the issue outside and Doc is nowhere to be found. And then we see him telling the crew that he'll handle Doc. And then it's revealed that he's actually telling himself in the mirror, kind of practicing what he's going to say. And it immediately gives this vibe of him being an inexperienced leader. He's reading the the one minute manager, you know, business lessons. Uh, they, they are establishing him very quickly as being this inexperienced leader. And I think the way that Peter Weller carries himself supports that really well. Yeah. I felt that like, because I, I, um, we planned on doing this, so I rewatched the movie a couple of times, and I, I saw like Peter Weller. He, he seemed like an experienced person that was thrown into a mix or a, into a group of people that he has not worked with before, and he's trying to make the best of it. 
Right. Well, I mean, they flat out, he flat out says that he's a geologist and somehow they decided that qualified him to lead the people on this mining expedition Mm -hmm. because he knows about rocks. Well, that doesn't translate into knowing about people. Oh yeah. I mean, he always seemed like, like when you had a job, when you were coming up, it was like, you had that manager that was like, he knew what he was doing, but he wasn't confident in what he was doing. Right. And that's how I always like picturing him in this movie. He's like, he knows how to handle it, but he's not really like in the fold with the group. Yeah, no, he's not. And I think that makes an interesting dynamic among the crew because you've got like Hector Elizondo's character is very by the books. You know, he's quoting union rules in the scene where Peter Weller is trying to get them to get work done so he can give them a day off. And he's quoting, you know, the union rules. He's a very by the book person. And it's very obvious very quickly that he does not have much respect for Beck because he can sense that Beck is inexperienced. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I find that I find the dynamic really interesting, and and I like that that opening scene. I almost wish they had done something different from it, because you've got the crisis going on outside where the one character's suit is failing him, and oh, so scary, claustrophobic, scary. Like you're trapped within that suit that is your whole life at that point when you have an issue, and that's there's nothing. Yeah. And everybody's taking it very seriously, and Beck looks over, and the other monitor has a sign on it that says the dock is out. And there's almost this suspense created in that moment of who or what is dock, because you don't know. And you find out later on that it's just a guy who wasn't at his post when he was supposed to be. And I almost feel like they could have done more with that. We never really get established what Doc was doing that he wasn't at his post. He jokes about that he was playing golf. And that next time he'll he'll keep it to nine holes so he can be at his station like he's supposed to be. But we never find out why he wasn't at his post when that early mission was going on. Yeah, it feels like uh, they made that character to be almost like a um, – he's just there because he has to be there. Who, Doc? Yep. He, he's just a position that had to be filled by somebody. And you got to think, if, um, if, you, if you're a medical practitioner or anything and you're like, oh, if you're doing well in life, you'd be – having your own practice or working at a hospital or everything else. When I think of Leviathan, I think that doc there has actually had some issues or some malpractice issues where he is forced down to the level of being the medical examiner for this, uh, for this mission or for this company where he's like, I'm better than this, but he got caught back in the day doing something wrong. So he feels that he's above his station. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And there is a reference to something having happened in the past by one of the characters. They, they make a reference to, to something happening. And we're never told what that is. And I'm, I'm all for a story leaving things unexplained, but I almost feel like they left too much unexplained with Doc, that we never found out why he was there. We never found out what he was doing when he was supposed to be at his post at the beginning of the movie. And and at one point, that actually creates a nice mystery around him. Like when he, when the, the, the I don't want to say alien because it's not an alien, the genetic monster is on the loose later on in the film. And they have the plan that if they can't stop it, they're going to get to the escape pods. The, I think they call them the bubbles, and they're going to they'll go to safety at that point. He goes ahead and fires off the safety pods, and he leaves a message saying he leaves a message saying that we don't get to read it first. And the question, and the way the camera's on his face, we don't know if he's doing it because he's in on whatever's going on because there's a feeling that the company is kind of conspiring against these employees. Or if he's doing it to protect them. And there's there's kind of an enigma surrounding Doc, so therefore you don't know what his motivation is in setting off those escape pods. Right, right, right. Well, when you look at Doc in that perspective, it's like real world, you look at it like, hey, a medical professional is saying this is a um, contamination hazard. So he's thinking, yes, just cut it off, kill us all, and it's done. It's hard to think about that in the real light and in, in the real world because he's making the actual decision that a real doctor in that situation would make. But in a movie standpoint, he's the bad guy because he won't let them get help. But if you thought about any like um, type of containment situation in the real world, the doctor's going to be like, nope, we got to keep him here because we have to stop the contamination and that's it. 
So Doc kind of turns into like, yes, he was an ass or he was lazy, but then it turns into, oh no, he really does care and he wants to stop any um, spread of the disease or whatever it's going on in the station at the time. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> I like the film the way the film constructs that because there is that mystery about what his motivation is. And when you do find out, Oh, he was actually trying to save mankind. Essentially you're like, Oh, he is a good guy. He is doing it to help them out, but you don't know that at first. And it kind of adds this nice ambiguity to his character. Right. Because we automatically look at him as like, Oh, he's the bad guy or he's the, like the snuff guy kind of off to the side. That's going to negate everything that we're talking about. But in reality, he's, looking at it in a realistic perspective is like, if we don't control this, we're done because we're not going to spread this to the world. And that's it. Do you think the company knew that the Leviathan was down there and what the danger was? I mean, if there's, they're definitely playing games with the crew, you know, they claim that there's a hurricane and that's the reason they can't do an emergency pickup. And there's very clearly no hurricane. Do you think that it was more focused on making sure they met their quota as far as the silver and other rare materials? Or do you think it was in hopes of catching some piece of this genetic anomaly that they could later on profit off of? I actually believe that the company was afraid of what they might have uncovered and they were giving them or giving them a like a 24 hour 24 hour period to where they could be infected or, or not, but give it time for any type of virus or any type of uh, amalgamation or anything to take its toll and then come to get them. You're, they're going to let the disease take its toll on the, uh, the, um, the cruel, uh, ah, sorry, the cruel, ah, I can't say Leviathan. There we go. (laughs) They're going to let, like, the company's like, hmm, there's something going on. Let's let it take its course, and then we're going to pull them out after, like, 24 hours, 48 hours. Like, let it take its course and see what's happening after that. Because, I mean, honestly, that's a safe bet. So you don't think they were trying to exploit the situation. You think they were trying to protect themselves. Right. I mean, you're going to protect your company, right? You don't want that kind of infection or uh, biological warfare type item out in the real world. You're not going to go save them instantly. You're going to let it run its course and see what happens. If they all die, then you cut it loose. If they survive, like, all right, now we know because we have this information that they did this, they did that, and now they lived. But say it was like a like a bubonic plague or anything else where it, it spread and it killed them all, it's best that they left them down there to do that kind of uh, experimentation. I definitely want to commend uh, Meg Foster's performance as Martin, the uh, company woman. Uh, I love Meg Foster's appearance. Just I'm not saying I focus on how she looks, but just she has a very distinct appearance. She's one of those actresses that when you see her, you remember you've seen her elsewhere in this case, you know, my favorite role that she's in is they live. And speaking of, of, uh, John Carpenter films, her role in this movie just makes me think of, uh, the, uh, John Claude Van Damme movie cyborg. Mm-hmm. She's like straight to the point, instant access. Like I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that. And then it's done. It was like freaky for me. It's, it's those steely eyes. She has, I think they just, oh, yeah. they, they make her appear very, well, in They Live, they make her feel somewhat alien. In this movie, they make her feel somewhat robotic. But yeah, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of jumped over Peter Weller when we focused on Doc, but <laughs> I, I almost feel like, you know, this is RoboCop. When is RoboCop? Because, well, you know, Peter Weller, Peter Weller is best known for RoboCop, of course. But that and that came out two years before this. So in theory, he should be writing the success of that. But this almost feels like a return to his Buckaroo Banzai character, minus oh, some of the bravado. Oh my God, yes. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, he's got the, the accent down, but it's almost like he's lacking Buckaroo Banzai's bravado. Hmm. It's just nuts to talk about Peter Willer's like early work and what he did and like what he became. Because like I didn't know this until like probably a year ago. That that man was like born in nineteen forty seven. 
Oh yeah. He's an older gentleman. And I like used to love like Robocop and, and watching him in movies. It's like, Oh, he's so awesome. But maybe that's just showing my age. <laughs> You're not that old. I don't know. And he's continued to do work. I mean, he's, he's done a lot of TV more recently, but he's done a lot of TV more recently. I mean, he was in the last ship. He did an appearance in MacGyver this year. So, you know, he's, he's done some video game work. He's done some voiceover work. He was Batman for the dark Knight returns. You know, he was in star Trek into darkness. He's, he's done. He continues to do a lot of work, but he's never become that. He's never really become that leading man successfully. And I think that's part of what hurt Buckaroo Banzai, although that's just a campy movie. And I think that hurt this and Robocop. He's, you know, he's covered up what he looks like doesn't really matter because all they, all they need is his chin in Robocop. Yeah. I enjoy him. Uh, And I think as a inexperienced leader, he does a very good job with that performance. Uh, So much so that I almost feel like, the the gag at the end of the movie, the last line, is almost uncharacteristic for what yeah. we've seen him do throughout the rest of the film. Oh my god, I love this movie, but the the last fifteen minutes is such like, ah, what the hell were they thinking? Like, I don't know if producers had an uh, an issue with it or whatever else. Like, uh, killing Ernie Hudson and yeah, the, the dude made it almost all the way through the movie. Why kill Arnie Hudson? Like, I don't understand the end of the movie. I love this movie, but the end of it, like, it, ah, it, it threw me off. Well, and I almost wonder if that's an issue with this genre, because that was part of the problem with The Abyss, too, to the point that it needed a director's cut to kind of repair that part of the film. Ah, that's a good point. But the director's <laughs> cuts back in 1989, that wasn't really a thing, was it? No, no, no. It's more like 2000 plus. Yeah. And of course, we also need to talk about our, our female lead, uh, Amanda Pays, who was one of my young adolescent crushes with her appearances in Max Hedrum and the original Flash TV series in the early 90s. And, you know, that that's right around the time that this is filmed. So she's in that prime of her career. And I like that she is... One of the reviews I read said one of the benefits of the movie is getting to see Amanda Pays in a wet t-shirt. And I, I didn't feel like they used her as a sex symbol in the film. No, she was pretty strong in this movie. Yeah. She wanted to go to NASA. She was only doing this to like build her repertoire or her resume toward going to NASA. Right. And they established that. And, you know, she has some camaraderie with the crew, but also when they're doing some of their more uh, blue collar antics. She's going out for a run, you know, I mean, she's, she's part of the crew, but she's not completely part of the crew because she does have higher ambitions. And I mean, and they established that within her character pretty well. I thought she was always the, like a very strong female character. It's like, Oh, she's going to, she's going to last. She's going to make it to the end of the movie. <laughs> and the one thing I really didn't like is they sort of tease when she's out on her run and Beck is doing repairs, they kind of start to tease a romantic relationship there, which it did, the movie didn't need. And then that comes back again at the end of the film. She kind of, she, she hugs Beck and kisses him. It's not like a drawn out elaborate. This is their moment together type moment, but they didn't need to go that route with his character. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. There's, there's no reason for, any like emotional attachment. Um, if you look at it in a physical attachment, Hey, you're going to die. This is the man you are. This is the man or woman you've been very attractive to. Yeah. You can play that role, but yeah, they didn't have like an emotional, uh, standpoint. It's, it seemed a little bit much like, yeah. Oh, we have to have a conclusion. So, um, let me see what else I wanted to chat about. You haven't talked about the monster or any of the fights. Yeah, well, let's talk about the monster. So the monster is developed by uh, Stan Winston. And it's, I don't know, it's its one of those, I, I think part of the reason people draw comparisons between this and Alien is because a lot of the movie, the monster is not seen. It's 
hidden under a blanket. It's off in shadow. We see its silhouette. We see it, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of the film that we're not really seeing the monster. And when we do see it and it's this weird amalgamation of the different characters that it's absorbed, it's, it's a weird monster. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think, I think I love the movie. The monster is a little weird because it's, uh, it prides too much on the thing. I believe. Yeah. Because it takes, Oh, we're going to look like whatever we've killed kind of thing. But it also took on that, that, um, that vision of an underwater aquatic creature because it always has the piranha face or the lamprey. Yeah. The little lamprey oh, yeah, or lamprey. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I liked the little lamprey tentacles or whatever you want to call it. Pieces of it. Uh, those were pretty cool. Oh yeah. Like I thought when they did the monster scenes, it was like awesome. And I, and I've like researched it and looked it up and it's like, it was really a hard time for the cast and crew to actually do it. That's why they didn't include the monster so much within it. So it made it more of a like a science fiction horror genre mystery thing where you don't ever you don't always see the monster but you know the fear of it. Yeah, I I didn't get uh Ebert didn't write a review about this. I always like to pull Roger Ebert, but I did get to see a clip of him reviewing it on at the movies with his show with Gene Siskel. And one of the things they talk about during the fight scenes is the set seems almost like it's built so that when these major fight scenes happen, when the monster is finally unleashed, everything's going to fall apart. Mm. You know, the, the, the tubes that have been holding stuff together suddenly buckle under the weight of people and, and walkways give out and that kind of stuff. And it, it, it wasn't – and he liked the movie, but it wasn't an, an incorrect criticism. No, like, I mean, this movie is not going to, like, it's not going to take home any awards, but it's it's hard to it's hard to explain it when you really appreciate, like, everything that goes into it. You know what I mean? I gotcha. Yeah, no, I gotcha. I guess I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, because you, you talked about the underwater element of it being what scares you. And you, you said that you don't really care for the abyss, but I think of, like... The Abyss has the underwater scene where Ed Harris's character, no, not Ed Harris's character, um, hmm. where because because Ed Harris is the one yelling at her and punching her chest because that's you know realistic. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio's character drowns. You know, um, you have Sphere, where again I think we have a, a character drown. I just to me I would think those would play more on your fear than than this film. Hmm. Okay. Why do you think that this one stands out more than those? Uh, go go way of exposure. I was probably exposed to this movie more in my childhood. Oh, gotcha. Okay. How, so when did you first see this movie? Probably in like 97 when I was 12. This movie came on to the uh, late night sci-fi or USA channel uh-huh. when I was about 12 years old in 1992. Or no, no, I'm sorry, 1997. So it's like it's like one of those movies. Like I didn't have the education or the background for everything, but that was what I was exposed to at that age. So so it kind of makes a seminal imprint upon you. It's like imprinted, basically. Yeah, I I have that very similar experience with a different movie. I remember, see, I grew up without cable. So we just had, you know, the major networks and they would run movies late at night. And I, when I was in my mid to late teens, I I was up too late and turned on the TV and I caught the last like 10 minutes of Carrie where she comes home and her mother's yelling at her and she sends the, the scissors and knives and stuff at her. And then you have the scene with them going to the grave and the hands coming up. And that scared the shit out of me, partially because I was young and partially because I didn't have the context of the full movie. And to this day, Carrie remains one of the scariest movies that I've seen because I still have that feeling from when I was young and saw it the way that I saw it. That is actually crazy because, like, uh, personal aspect 
from what you just said, because it like fluttered everything in my soul, is that when I was 10, 11 years old, me and my family, we were on a trip, so we stopped at a hotel, right? We stopped at the hotel, my mom turned on the TV, and then my mom left. The only thing on TV at that time, early 90s, was Stephen King's It. Oh, no. <laughs> no bullshit, brother. I watched the fir- the first half because I, I, I happened to be in that genre of mixed time where like I only saw the first half as a 10-year-old kid or whatever age I was, and it scared the fuck out of me. Oh, I, I, I don't doubt walk, it. <laughs> I could not walk near a, uh, a city sewer system or anything. Yeah, and, and see, that's one of those that like I've revisited over time, and I'm like, man, there are parts of that that are so good. Like Tim Curry's performance is fantastic. Oh, God, I love Tim Curry. But there are also parts oh, of that that are so bad. Like, I feel like, especially if you've read the novel of it, and it's this giant cosmic battle that's being I fought. Orange is thick. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's this giant cosmic battle that's being fought between these forces in the novel and on the miniseries, they spend the last 20 minutes beating up a rubber spider. And it's like, wow, you guys ran out of money. Didn't you? <laughs> so what else you want to chat about, about Leviathan? Oh my God, dude. I, I know uh, we got off track. We got off track so fast. It's all good. Hey, that's what this show's about. <laughs> yeah, I think Leviathan is a, a is a great uh, science fiction horror genre kind of movie. Um, it's got a great cast, a lot of great actors that went on to do great things indoor, did great things at their time. But it should never be like underlooked be- below um, Abyss or all the other genres that came out at the time. The genre movies that came out at the time. I just I, I I didn't care for it the way that you do, and I'm understanding why oh, yeah, in yeah, chatting I, with I you about it. That. I wanted to ask that, buddy. Because we're, we're we're talking, what did you feel about the movie? I didn't like it. I mean, I think there's some good in it. I, I love the performances, and as I said, like the character building, the first you know 45 minutes or so, really good character building. I mean, it it opens with them out in their suits, and you have they're they're taunting each other. You know, uh, try not to trip on a tit. Oh, suck on a shrimp. And it establishes very quickly that these are blue collar workers, right? The way that they talk to each other, the way that they act. And, you know, as I said, the whole what or who is Doc, the mystery of where he is and and establishing Beck as an inexperienced leader. And I, I just I really thought developing the characters was really good. But I also felt like there was a lot of um, lost opportunity. Like, as I said, you know, we could have used more information on Doc. And there's certainly – don't just dump it on us. There could have been ways to to tell us, you know, what happened in his past that led him here. Because he's very different than anybody else. And even though Beck doesn't fit in with the crew, Doc fits in with the crew even less. And, like, there was a scene where he's checking out DeJesus, right, after the opening incident. And he puts a, a his brain scan up on the screen and it looks like there's something in that brain scan, but it's never addressed. It's like, I just felt like there were so many elements that they could have used to build more drama. And then I kind of agree with the review that once the monster shows up, it just becomes a very generic action movie. And I, I wish it had done more. And I, that's not to take away from your appreciation of it i certainly understand why you like it and and that makes a lot of sense talking with you about it but it just didn't it didn't really gel for me oh you're breaking my heart i'm sorry i really am hey man i mean that's where we talk right so people have opinions about different movies yeah and that's why i love film is because people can have different opinions and and one of the things i you know i mean i spent 10 years as a professional film critic, you know, I was paid to give my opinion on film. And one of the things that frustrated me while I was doing that were the amount of film critics out there. And there continue to be to this day that feel like their opinion is the only right one. And film is art and art is subjective and everybody's entitled to an opinion on it. Yeah. 
well, opinion is always going to be that opinion. You're never going to be the final state in every, anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think it helped. I watched this, you know, you, you, you said to me, you pointed out to me when we first talked about this, that this was available on uh, uh, Vudu. Yeah. Which, of course, then has commercial breaks. And I just discovered today that it's currently on Prime as well. And I was like, oh. damn it. I could have watched it without ads. <laughs> Not that I think the ads, you know, really ruined it that much. Well, I, I'm loving that this obscure sci-fi movie from the 80s is actually available for streaming. That's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. And I, and I think it's great. I think it's great that you brought this movie to the show. Because even though I didn't like it, it gives us a chance. It gave me a chance to visit it for one. Because I remember when it came out, hearing about it, and I I know I've seen you know the DVD case when I went to to movie rental stores, and I know I've seen it pop up on my you know Amazon list or whatever, and I've never had an excuse to watch it. So if nothing else, now I've seen it, and it it may not be for me, but. it's always better to make that opinion having seen it than to just look at something and poo-poo it without giving it an opportunity. Mm, 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 mm. So if we're going to break down and say, let's do it, ref. Let's do one out of 10 for (laughs) sci-fi. We're going to do a sci-fi horror movie. One out of 10. What do you believe? What do you mean? Okay. So I'm going to look at this movie. It's, it's a, a science fiction uh, okay. horror, horror genre with a monster. Yeah. So take that into effect. Not comparing it to anything else currently out there, but if you look at it as itself, I would give it a 6 out of 10. Not See, and it's interesting that you say not comparing it to anything else, because that's the point I brought up earlier, is everybody in their review was comparing it to every, uh, everything else, and, and you did too when you were mm-hmm. pitching it. Um on its own, I probably would give it a four out of ten. Um, good character work, interesting potential, missed opportunities. So yeah, probably a four out of ten. Sorry for breaking your heart. <laughs> no, it, it ain't gonna bug me. I, I I thoroughly enjoy the thing rethink, uh, the thing remake, but I don't like all the CG. See, I haven't seen the the. I I, I don't think it's a remake as much as it's considered kind of a sequel. A prequel. Um, a prequel? That's right, before, prequel. It's before they happen. And I've seen it several times. It's a prequel before the actual uh, things of the thing happen. Right. But they they CG'd the fuck out of it. And um, I, it, I'm going to go back to your Facebook page and tell you what should be remade because that should be remade. The the, the prequel should be remade? Yeah, Not the, I, lo- I love the I like the prequel. But there's too much CG. They need to go with real life uh, practical effects. There you go. Okay. All right. Well, let's move. Uh, let's move on. The uh, unless you have anything else you want to chime no, in on, I, I feel I, like I have taken your story way too far. So. Oh no no no! It's great. I'm really enjoying having you on the show. Um, so the algorithm says is kind of a lightning round. This is based on algorithms that recommend other movies based on what you like. So it says, if you like this, then you'll like these. Uh, this is kind of a lightning round of, do you agree? Do you like these movies? Do you disagree that they have no connection to this? Do you wonder what the hell they're doing on this list? That kind of thing. So it's just quick responses to these films. Right. Uh, deep star six. Go. <laughs> Uh, Deep Rising. Nice. Nice. Uh, The Relic. Awesome. How is that connected to this one, do you think? Uh, uh, Body emagulation. Body transformation. Gotcha. Uh, The Relic is a great movie. I I want to say I've seen it, but I don't remember it. So I I need to revisit it. Have you not seen The Relic? No, I think I have, but I don't remember it. So I need to uh, clearly I need to revisit it. Okay. You need to watch that fucking movie, dude. It's awesome. <laughs> dude, it's, oh, it's a great fucking movie. It's way up there with Mimic. Now see Mimic I have seen and I like. Yeah, it, it it's the same time frame. Like New York, ni- uh mid nineteen nineties. It's fucking awesome, dude. Watch okay. that shit. Screamers. 
Dude, awesome. Oh my god. <laughs> awesome, awesome fucking movie. Uh Leviathan, the 2014 version. <gasps> which which is about a fishing village. I have not seen it. Don't yeah, it's it's a fishing village drama. <laughs> uh, uh, can we cuss in your podcast? I have no idea. Well, you have been, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I put I put the explicit tag on a while ago. Fuck that, I don't care. <laughs> the Blob, nineteen eighty eight. I never saw it. You've no. not seen that one, okay? I've not seen that. Uh, the Thing. I think we know your thoughts on that since we've talked about that extensively. Fucking awesome movie. And Aliens. Aliens. Yeah, the sequel. Girl, yes. Uh, Aliens, the best science fiction horror movie ever. All right, and we always close with the pop quiz. Uh, this one's a little unique because there really wasn't enough trivia about Leviathan to write a quiz about it. So instead, I've asked, I've got to put together a quiz about Leviathan as a word and concept. <laughs> so number one, the word Leviathan has its origins in what text? A, the Hebrew Bible, B, the Old Testament, C, Beowulf, or D, the Tempest? Beowulf. Nope, it's the Hebrew Bible is where it first appeared, apparently. Nice. Uh, number two, over time, the term Leviathan has taken on a political meaning, describing a totalitarian state with a vast bureaucracy. Who popularized this meaning? A, Thomas Hobbes, B, George Washington, C, Noam Chomsky, or D, Donald Trump? C. No, it's A again, Thomas Hobbes. <laughs> I, this makes no sense to me, brother. <laughs> uh, well, the last two hopefully will be a little better. Three, Leviathan was a name taken as a stage name by what WWE wrestler? A, Dave Bautista, B, Dwayne Johnson, C, George Steele, or D, Ric Flair? C. No, is A again. Dave Bautista apparently for a brief what? period went What's as Leviathan. Leviathan. Yeah, apparently That's George. Bad. George was George the Animal Steel. So Very I know that bad. much. So much. <laughs> All right, last question. You play World of Warcraft. Hopefully, you'll get this one. Mm. A key quest line featuring a Leviathan occurs in which zone of World of Warcraft? A. Dustwallow Marsh. B. Swamp of Sorrows. C. The Wandering Isle. Or D. Dragon Blight. The no, it's Dustwallow Marsh. Theramor under attack oh, by Theramor. the. Uh... God damn it! Why did you just say Theramor? Because I've played <laughs> that quest so many times. <coughs> I love that quest. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, you shoot the damn octopus-looking thing in the bay. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, where can people find you? Do you have anything you want to promote? Anything like that? No, I am a, a uh, I am a lonely person. <laughs> I am a, a, a Marine veteran that just hangs out, uh, do my work. I work at an airport, but um, if I could do anything, Ref, I'd say support your support your military. Okay, very good. Well, James, thank you so much for appearing on the show. As I said, I may not like the movie, but I really appreciate you giving me a reason to watch it. And if nothing else, I've gotten a great conversation with you about it. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, brother. Anytime. So that does it for this week, but you can always keep the conversation going throughout the week through social media. You can find me at town Hess on Twitter or the show at have not seen this on Twitter on Facebook. We're at have not seen this podcast or email me at have not seen this at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show. So you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode that features an unexpected holiday movie, perfectly timed for a Christmas day release. And I mean that this time the episodes already been recorded. So unlike the, several times teased Halloween episode that never came to fruition. We have a holiday movie for next week and one that I think many of you will not have seen and will enjoy hearing about the podcast uh, is available on Google play, Apple podcast, Stitcher, 
all those places that you can find, or just subscribe to the RSS feed through whatever podcatcher you prefer. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, although I'd appreciate it if you just help spread the word to build up more of an audience. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for the wonderful theme song, and thanks to James Jackson for providing this week's conversation. Perhaps you have a movie you'd like to talk about, one that means something to you or you're particularly astonished when you discover people have not seen. Come be a guest on the show. Head over to havenotseenthis.podbean.com, click the Be a Future Guest button, submit the form there, and we'll get you set up for a future episode. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This.